The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'll be joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by a freelance social commentator who lists their favourite movie as American Psycho and favourite TV show as Peaky Blinders. Welcome back to the show, Blake Robinson. Jamie Apps, thank you for having me. How's everything going? You went to the... The races over the weekend, any big wins? Did Everest day of days? Yeah, I did. Actually, I actually picked the winner of uh, the Everest Geiger kick. So I'm um, really just starting to get into my work now for Spring Carnival. Timing is right. <laughs> it's good to see some luck coming my way. It's what we want. Peak Blake work season. This is this is where I do my best work. Springtime. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm up and about this week. Hopefully, there's a few dry races. Oh. I won't, I won't back it. <laughs> it's just horrendous, this La Nina, La Nina caper. Oh, it's so over. And apparently it, it looks like it's going to be around for another year. I feel bad for all the people in the flood zones, though. They've copped it so bad. Even like places you like, never thought would or could flood, you've seen all the news of flooding. Like, what? Like, nowhere safe. Yeah, like <laughs> this weekend, like middle of Melbourne flooded. I was like, what? Yeah, I know. Um, like the Maranbong River that runs alongside like Flemington Racecourse was like coming up like yeah. into the stables. I was like, oh my God, nowhere is safe. Yeah, you'd think you're in the the biggest city in the state, you'd be fine, but nope, apparently not. Yeah, I don't know. What are we, or it's a trade-off, isn't it, with Mother Nature? You're either bushfires or we've got this horrendous flood situation. I don't know what's worse. Can you compare the two? Ugh. Bushfires are probably the scariest thing on the planet, in my opinion. Yeah, at least with flooding, you kind of get a bit of a warning that it's coming whereas bushfires like they can just come and change directions at the drop of a hat and then you're in big trouble i'm just yeah i've never been in either situation so i can't speak (laughs) i'm sure there's people out there have been stuck in both people just cop the worst like hey yeah i don't know that's australia for you You can't really win either way that is australia for if it uh if it doesn't bite you it will burn you or drown you i guess (laughs) (laughs) so then on to Onto the stuff we've been checking out this week. Good stuff too. So we checked out two very much anticipated movie releases. Mm. First up, we're going to review the newest entry into the Halloween franchise, Halloween Ends. Mm. And then we will shift across to Netflix to review Blonde, the somewhat biographical film about Hollywood icon Marilyn Monroe. Mm. It's a doozy. couple of doozies here. Diving into uh, Halloween Ends first, as I mentioned, the final entry into this rebooted Halloween trilogy. Yeah. Uh, which began in 2018, then continued in 2021 with Halloween Kills. And we're now back with Halloween Ends, all three directed by David Gordon Green. Overall, what did you think of this entry? Unnecessary, but entertaining. Okay. I'll leave it at that. You seem a little bit higher on it than I am. Yeah. Oh, look, if I, um, obviously it, was, it wasn't a work of art in it. All right. Look, we're, we're fans of the Halloween franchise here on this show. That's no lie. We've followed this 
right the way through. Um, I would have been happy if it ended on the reboot, Halloween, the first one in 2018. Yep. I would have been happy if that was it. Yep. The second one was, oh, here we go. How are they going to drag this out? And they've obviously remade these with like a trilogy in mind. Well, I don't think they have. I think that's been the issue. You reckon they've just, they've made too much money off, too much money off the first one and thought, hang on a minute. Yeah. Like I think they did Halloween. It did incredibly well. So then they went, too well. let's record two back to back. And then that didn't happen, obviously, but then they recorded them in quick succession. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they had a three movie plot in mind. Like all three feel separate and disconnected. Yeah. And I feel like they just got progressively worse across the three. It's like, it's hard to describe, but with like when you say they got worse, because it's just got, like that Halloween Ends is one of the most preposterous films I've ever seen. It was barbaric. And a couple of times I'm like, how is this going to end? Is it going to be Michael Myers that gets killed? Or then sometimes I was like, maybe the Laurie Strode is going to get killed. Then Halloween Ends, like it's not, like we're not going to see the end of Michael Myers. Well, I thought, yeah, I felt they probably would have been well served to kill off Laurie. Because obviously you can't keep bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis because you know what she looks like and she's getting old. Whereas Mike Myers, he can be played by anyone because you just put a mask on them. So if they killed off Laurie, yeah, end the story that way, the which is like Laurie versus Michael, that that ends, and then you can reboot it again with the same Michael but against someone else. Yeah. Well, this I don't know. I just there's a few times in this film I had no idea what was going to happen. Like, I was like, all right, Laurie's going to die here, and we're going to get another seven movies. Then Michael picks up a protege of sorts, an apprentice. No. I was like, oh, so here we go. It's going to be <laughs> like Michael Myers is going to die, but now his little apprentice friend is going to carry on his legacy. Yep. Then I was. Um, then now I'm now I've just like got a thought like well Laura's granddaughter isn't dead is she's gonna like skip town and she's gonna find new demons in another town another boogie monster mm-hmm. is this the end of I don't know but if this is the end maybe of Michael Myers maybe yeah but I don't know if this is the end of Halloween well I just can't see these guys stopping here they can't there's no way Blumhouse and David Gordon Green have both said it's the end of them working on Halloween because the, they only had the rights for a, a three-movie set. But with the box office reception over the weekend, I can't see Universal letting this go away. That's what I mean. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if... What's her name? Laurie's granddaughter? Alison. Yeah, Alison. I would not be surprised if they do something with her. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I just this has been too popular and it's obviously a money-making machine for them. I don't know how they can just stop. Yeah, well... The budget is estimated to be between twenty and thirty million dollars for just Halloween ends. It's not much, eh? Really. Over the weekend, it made fifty-eight point four million worldwide, and in the US, it's available on Paramount streaming free. So they've they've basically made double their budget. And why would they not continue it? Like uh, for Universal, that would be stupid. I don't know how much I want to give away of this, but um, did you feel it was like a when Mike Myers teamed up with his little apprentice friend and they started tag teaming? Mm-hmm. It just felt like a Batman versus Superman like all star movie, like a Fantastic Four, like Avengers sort of setup. Yep, I was like, this is a bit weird. But oh, this is taking a turn, like it's almost childish now. Yeah, like for me, this was not a Halloween movie. It wasn't scary at all. I, then saying that, well, I think the first one was a bit creepy, but 
compared to like when I was a, I don't know if it was I was young, but when I was a kid watching the original movies, I was free and terrified. Well, that was scary movies, man. This trilogy definitely leans more into like gory slasher. It's very violent. They're very yeah, very violent because they definitely aren't scary. Yeah, it just tries to sort of be creepy and unnerving, not necessarily like jump scary. It does still knock on the door of that um like piss tape horror <laughs> where it's like it's just so comically bad mm-hmm. but it's but it's not too cheesy whereas like you know the remember that texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> the netflix one yep i was like what the hell is this whereas halloween still has that i'm gonna i'm gonna say class to it where it's not a complete piss take but at the same time it sort of is and like the ending just confirms that uh, i i thought some of the dialogue was really bad yeah Especially like the townspeople when they were confronting Laurie at the grocery store and then the lady that confronts uh, Corey in the bar. Like, I get that your son died, but that was way over the top for four years later. A lot of unnecessary avenues have added in with no context or no like. Like if they were going to do that family at the start who lost their son and then the lady reappears in the bar. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they just sort of teased that and not left it. Then she just pops up in the bar later on, like, and that was sort of it. Yep. Like, I thought that was going to be like a big story, like because that was a full opening scene and like the leeway into the film, and that was sort of it for them. Yeah. There was no backstory, no nothing later on. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of loose ends in it. A lot of avenues they've tried to go down to make something, and and like they've almost, like you said, tried to make it like a standalone film, like all three sort of have. Yeah. They're like Simpsons episodes, really. Like they do carry on, but at the same time, they're their own episode. And yeah, like I was saying, it, like it just, it didn't feel like a Halloween. Like we had that team up, which is so un-Michael Myers. Like he's always just been like this solo, unstoppable, like killing machine. He's barely even in the movie. He's not, no. Uh, did you think for a second that could be his grandson or a family member? Mm, no. Because he chooses not to kill him? Because I started thinking, I was like, hang on, how could this? And I I think they were trying to make us think that at one stage. I, I think what they were aiming for there was like when Michael looks him in the eyes, he sees evil like in him and he's like, oh, hang on, he's me. So you're saying Mike Myers recognises evil. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I, I'm not going to kill this guy. I'll keep him. Yeah. But then I, I was like, weird that he's hiding out in the tunnels. For four years. Like there was it just, that was like, everything was just unrealistic there as yeah. well. Yeah, it was it was weird. But we, are we being too real here to think this a slasher movie has to be realistic? Maybe. Like I said, I, it was entertaining, but... It felt more like a conjuring movie where it's like supernatural possession rather than... There was yeah, a lot of possession for Halloween, just I'm a dude chasing after someone. I'm going to kill anyone that gets in my way. Yeah, I think they just went so far from the point three movies in for the original Halloween. Like Halloween was barely celebrated or mentioned or shown like the actual Halloween night. Yeah. It's in the final, the final sequence. Like there was hardly no kids dressed up, hardly no trick or treating. They've completely lost touch with like the original idea of Halloween. Well, I think there's like three days shown in the movie before we even get to Halloween night. Yeah. Which feels like it's like probably like a month in like a month sequence, not three, three days of real life time. Yeah. So yeah, like this one set four years after Halloween kills and basically Michael has disappeared. Laurie's basically all of a sudden just like fine with life and just moving on and mm. I'm not going to worry about Michael anymore. I'm just going to be happy-go-lucky homemaker. I was like, um, in the last two movies, she's been like totally broken. She can't go out of her house. She's turning her house into a basically a big death trap. But then this one, she's suddenly just like, eh, 
whatever. Yeah, and they didn't really touch on that. It's like, oh, what happened to her for this to happen? I know her daughter died, but yeah. there was it what what was it like the moment on this she's just like you said, she had a fortress and her life revolved around like stopping Michael Myers, then all of a sudden she's just living this suburban old lady life. Yeah. So they skipped a lot. What did you think of like the opening sequence with the, we mentioned the Corey, the babysitter and the kid, like I thought that was a great way to open. Like it, that was one of the most compelling parts of the movie. Well, all of the movies have been sort of good like that. Like they do something pretty gnarly at the start then they drop the, the iconic like theme music. Mm-hmm. Like I love that. Um, but like I said, it was good, but we just needed to know more about that situation, that family. They sort of just dropped, dropped it. I thought it was such like a cool opening. Like that was, I think that the two best parts of the movie are that opening sequence and then the showdown at the end. But I loved how the opening one kind of flips the whole babysitter death like on its head like normally when you see a babysitter in a horror movie you know the babysitter is getting murdered by the killer yeah and then it just like flips it and makes him the killer I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool but that kid got what he deserved that kid was a spoiled brat yeah he was acting a damn fool oh did you actually think gloria would kill herself i thought she might i thought that was how they were going to be like oh it ends on the most like the would have been super unsatisfying if she did but it was a cool little like tricked you Oh, then when she got like sort of caught with a knife in hand, I was like, no, I hate it when that happens to people in movies. Like, you know what's going on, but the other, like, the other characters don't. You're like, you just want to tell them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it was like frustrating for me. I don't know why I got so frustrated over that. When she got caught there, I was like, oh, maybe they're going to turn Allison into like the new Mike Myers type where she's just like out for revenge against everyone. Oh, I never thought that would happen. Another thing too, yeah, like I mentioned the kitchen sequence, like the scene at the end. It would have been, I thought for a second, maybe Michael kills Laurie while he's dying and they both wipe each other out at the same time. I thought that was, and then, then Laurie with like her fingertip flips the fridge over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's so easy to flip a fridge. <laughs> like a double stored fridge. But what do we, I thought, just the, like the book and the, the movie, like the whole town, like when they put him on the roof. And parade him through town. And they, like, carry him like he's the queen, like a procession through the <laughs> through the town to go grind him up. I was like, oh, my God. Like, it's it's a very definitive ending. Like, he's dead. Like, there is no – there's no messing about there. <laughs> there's no doubt he's coming back. That is for sure. Is that is that like a, a sign or their way of saying that this is done? I think this is them just, like, giving this trilogy a very definitive ending. Oh, you know, hang on. You know what we could have? A prequel. To Michael Myers. As a kid and like why he's so messed up. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I think that, that could be a good avenue for them to go because the whole time, like every time he had his mask off, I was oh, I just wanted to see his face. I wanted to know more about unmasked Michael Myers. But yeah, like yeah. as growing up, he's probably obviously from a troubled home, had problems. Like that'd be cool. I love that. Then it sort of starts or ends at the start of like, the originals. That'd be cool. I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, that'd be a cool different play on it rather than just continuing the story. Because, like I said, I can't see, I can't see them stopping here. But like, they obviously have to stop with the Halloween storyline. Well, it's just going to have to be fully rebooted because, yeah, this this trilogy is contained and has this very definitive ending. Like he's gone, he's not coming back. Yeah, I love, um, I love Michael Myers. He's one of my all time favorite movie characters, and I love like the the franchise. But I really hope no one else touches it. I can see what the film was going for, and like this trilogy as a whole was going for. I don't think it worked. Like outside the first 2018 Halloween, the next two didn't hit the same way. I think it's just popular 
because it's popular, it's just a mm. well-known brand. Yeah. Because like, the movies themselves aren't good, aren't good enough to be this popular. Just It's just because it's Halloween, everyone grew up watching it and loves it. Like, you wouldn't just go watch this movie if you're not a fan of, like, this, this no. series or whatnot. But people are going to go see it regardless of what how bad they get told it is just because they have to see it. Yeah, they have to go and see if, if it is as bad as everyone's saying. But, yeah, like, I, th- I think Halloween in 2018, they were trying to tell a story of Laurie dealing with her own personal demons and trauma from her experiences. And I think it did a really good job. It really did a good job of that. Yeah, it's like this new tr- new trend of telling the victim side. Mm. But then they sort of got the bug and like, oh, right, yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's run away with it. And then Halloween Kills moves into showing how your trauma can spread out and affect those around you, like in the community. Yeah. And then that brings out like really obvious moments of violence and trauma in the community. Like people are expressing their hatred and anger over certain things in violent ways and then this one goes on to how if you harbor trauma and demons inside you you can then subconsciously pass that on to the next generation which then leads to more deep-rooted trauma which eats away at people inside even though from the outside they look like happy and fine Mm. yeah it's a it's a that's a real deep dive way of looking at it yeah and then that that like leads to like people looking for monsters or boogeymen to blame for everything that's going wrong in their life. And I think that's like what Corey symbolizes, but like I can see where they were aiming, but I don't think any of those elements hit in this movie. Like they all feel just a bunch of things jammed in yeah. all of a sudden. They didn't feel earned in the three movies. Yeah. They, they, that's what I said. they just tried to, to go from, like have too many different avenues and cram it all into one thing with not much like context to each one. I think that could be a case of, I found out there's, there was four writers on this movie, which is way too many. Yeah, I was opening credits. There was so many different. Yeah, there was a lot of like writers, producers. I'm like, oh, all right, everyone just wanted a piece of the pie. Totally a case of like too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, hundred percent. They've all thrown their little ideas in, and none of them connect or feel like they earned what they were aiming for. Yeah, I um, this I don't think this is going to be the end of Michael Myers appearing in movies. But the end of this particular Halloween franchise yep. from Blumhouse. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, but I have no doubt someone will pick it up. In terms of the body count, did you count how many people died in this movie? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. So overall, there was 18 people died in this movie. I would have thought it's not as many as previous movies, that's for sure, though. Michael's kill count is, this is a record low. Record low. So 18 people died, but Michael only killed three. Yeah, that's piss bleak. Which is, again, highlighting this is not a Halloween movie. This is some other horror movie that just has, like, a Mike Myers cameo for 10 minutes. The kid put up premiership numbers real quick. He killed 15 people. He killed 15, is that what you said? Yeah, we get a, a couple die in a Jeep in a flashback. Then there's the, the lady that hangs herself from the outside of her house. Oh, we count them, are we? The homeless man is killed by... Corey, mm. Doug, the kid, doc, the doctor, and the nurse. Oh yeah, the nurse. <laughs> she was annoying as fuck. Deb, Billy, Stacy, Ron, Terry, the the shitty bullies who are in the school band. Like, since when are school band kids the bullies? Yeah, I hated them bullies. They're the ones getting picked on. <laughs> yeah, they had it coming for them. Terry, Margot, Miss Cunningham, Corey's mum gets murdered. Yeah, she sucks. The radio dudes. Yeah, you suck too. The receptionist at the radio. The receptionist. <laughs> then Corey and then Michael himself. I was like, so 18 people died. Corey kills, yeah, about 
12 or 13. Laurie kills one or two. What about the little love story between the cop and Laurie? <laughs> uh, that was cool. I liked that scene. That scene in the grocery store was, was cool. Awesome. The rest of it, not so much. Oh, what was at the end? These, maybe a um, little rom-com of them going to watch the, <laughs> say the cherry blossoms in Japan. Yeah. What did you think of the love story between Corey and Allison as well? No, it didn't work. I thought it was funny how that already fully set it up and it was like meant to be. Then she put him into that position. Then she's like trying to backpedal like, sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. She's like, just lit the fire and walked away. But then like Allison is like immediately head over heels in love and like just everything's forgotten. She just uproots her life and is like. Yeah, she felt, they fell for each other pretty quick. Too quick. Just felt stupid. Yeah. Like, like I said, my biggest takeaway is there was too many different ins and outs and they were trying to push too many different storylines and with the too many loose ends. Like I felt it had cool, graphic, gory moments, which you kind of expect from a Halloween, but it didn't have, I didn't think it equaled the graphic kills we got in Halloween Kills. I thought that had some of the coolest ones. Mm, yeah. And then just the crappy writing, just this movie was never going to get over the bad writing. Like it was so bad that nothing they could do would have made it okay. Oh, and showing scenes and using footage from the original movie to oh the first Halloween of this, the 2018 one, I thought was pretty... Cheap. They're just trying to cash in on nostalgia and it's only three years old. Yeah, 100%. That didn't work at all. I was like, oh, this is crap. Like the, like the prison footage, the bus crashing footage, some of like the death scenes, like the kid on the spike. Mm -hmm. Was that in Halloween Kills? I was like, this is crap. Like, yeah. This is just taken away from it. Yeah, like you said, they're trying to catch you on nostalgia, but it didn't work at all. They completely missed it. I was not happy with this at all. I had no expectations, man. I, I, it was entertaining, yes. I needed to see it, yes, but it was preposterous. I'm never going to watch it again. But I'm glad it's over. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I, I am glad it's over because I, I can. if they did a four film, it'd be horrendous. Well, yeah, this one was already terrible. It's only going to get worse. So hopefully... Hopefully next time, if we're going to get a, another like trilogy from someone else, I hope they plan the trilogy out before they start. Yeah, like it's must see. It's a must see movie, like to to end the the series. If you're a Halloween fan, if not, don't bother. Like, don't waste your time. You've got to be familiar and a fan of the first two. Otherwise, yeah, don't don't bother. You'll just waste your time. Even then, like if you're a even if you're a massive fan, just wait. Like don't don't give them money and don't encourage them to make more. <laughs> Here's me going on a Friday night, paying money to the cinema, buying snacks, encouraging that fourth film. Was the cinema busy? Nah, I got there. There was like one other couple there, then a couple other people started coming, but that was late on a Friday night. But I was expecting it to be packed, to be honest with you. Especially, yeah, late on a Friday is when you want to see it. Late on a Friday night just came out. Yeah, I was expecting it to be packed. I don't know. They're probably going to leave it in the cinemas until end of October anyway for Halloween, you'd assume. I'll get that money's worth, don't you worry. Yeah, it'll be in there, I would assume, until the end of Halloween. Unless there's, I don't think there's any big movies coming out this week. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of absolutely preposterous films. Yeah, so next up, Blonde, 2022 fictional take on the life and career of Marilyn Monroe, which is now streaming on Netflix. See, I didn't know this was, until the end, this was based on a novel, a, a fictional reimagining of Marilyn's life. Yeah, I I went in thinking it was going to be like a very true-to-life biography, but it's, yeah, apparently a fictional retake of her story. Um, it was pretty ridiculous. Wouldn't watch it with your mum. Guess who did that? It's not a, it's not a mum watcher, this one. <laughs> I did. That was weird. I did exactly that. <laughs> oh, well, someone's got to do it. Yeah, it was borderline X-rated. 
let's put it that way. She she was a raunchy one. Oh yeah. But as an Anna de Armas fan, I was all for it, loving every minute of it. Yeah, like overall, I enjoyed the movie. It was cool. It was very arty. Oh, super artistic. And like the I don't know what they filmed it with, but was it filmed using like a film? camera uh no there was scenes in black and white there was i think half the movies in black and white i think most of it is yeah i think it was up until the point of mid 1950s when color tv actually came out yep. that is when they flipped over to color is that right is it would i get that timeline right pretty much yeah i know the original plan was to film it in on 16 millimeter film but apparently netflix have a mandate where everything has to be filmed on digital so it's easier to put it on their service so it was eventually filmed on digital cameras but obviously in post they've put on film grain and effects to make it look like it was on film yeah that must have been what got me and it has all the aspect ratios of the time like it goes from the, the box to then goes out wide when it is like offset or off camera i just don't i just think this is as I, no one's been watching it i feel it so it hasn't been very popular i was very keen for, for it to come out for like six months after i seen the trailer for various reasons that I just, I don't know, has the Dharma hype just completely destroyed everything else on Netflix? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed this one. Like, I wouldn't say it was amazing, and I wouldn't say it's something I'm ever probably going to ever watch again. Like, I was kind of just like, eh. No, you wouldn't watch it again, but I, 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 I was immersed in it. Like, I didn't even bother taking any notes for this but uh i was like i was just loving it i was really enjoying it it wasn't definitely wasn't a phone scroller no but it could easily be a phone scroller if you got your phone out and sort of lost interest in it you're gone like because it was a bit slow so to speak and you did sort of have to pay a bit of attention yeah and there are a few moments that i thought i didn't like like i didn't really the whole like abortion speaking to the baby was bit weird but like we said it's a super artistic rendition of her story it's, it's very art it's not here's a straight run-of-the-mill biopic of the major events in her life like i have a pretty sound i guess like baby above average knowledge of marilyn monroe's life i guess but then the, but i found myself googling a lot throughout the film when i needed to to double check things because that was because i thought it was a biopic i was like did that actually happen yeah and i'm sure i was like i'm sure that didn't happen but yeah then at the end it, i've realized it was based on a fictional reimagining so i was like oh, that makes sense you gotta think that book book is also based on fact like they've pinpointed some key moments to highlight oh her life was ridiculous and a lot of the things in this film like happened yeah I have no doubt she gave JFK wristies <laughs> while he was on the phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a whole other scene. That's Oscar worthy right there. That's Yeah, that's a full on scene. That was hectic. I was like, they are tr- stepping on coals here with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Anna de Armas was amazing. I thought she suited this role like perfectly. Like just looking at her, you're like, yeah. She's Marilyn. Yeah. Crazy. I've seen people whinging like why they cast her and like, well, wouldn't you cast like a blonde girl? What? Norma Jean wasn't blonde. She was notoriously a brunette that wanted to be this blonde Hollywood showgirl. Yeah. So I thought Anna was the perfect cast. Yeah. I saw people complaining about her accent, but for me it was fine. Um, I, th- I thought she was great. There's worse. Yeah, she was great. There was, there's worse out there. She's a Spanish girl anyway. What did you think of like the way they presented some of the, the male characters? Like they don't ever say their their real life names like charlie chaplin jr oh yeah like two people that they do give their proper names to um i don't know is that just being pretty woke about stuff (laughs) i guess i don't know 
Um, yeah, like I've never mentioned Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, they just call him the ex-athlete or she calls him daddy over and over again, which is ugh, ugh, so weird. It's it's a vibe, but it can easily make someone very uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah, like we get the playwright who's Arthur Miller, played by Adrian Brody. Yeah, Adrian Brody, he's popping up and everything. So when, when, when they first introduced Joe DiMaggio, um, they were out for dinner. Yeah. Because it didn't really look like him a whole lot. And it was an interesting casting there. Um, I got me guessing. I was like, who's this meant to be? Is this meant to be like a, a head of like a studio or something? And they sort of mm-hmm. kept you guessing or let you imagine who it is. And that's the same with Arthur Miller. There was a fair few moments where I had to Google, like, who is this person supposed to be? I think Arthur Miller, yeah, they got pretty right. But I was just going to say, I, I think I've definitely mentioned it on the show numerous times before. Adrian Brody cannot play a bad role. He cannot. Underrated. It's impossible. Underrated. Well, underappreciated. He's, I love it and just love how he pops up and everything. Like, like he was probably, the pianist was his big solo performance, but what he's been doing recent, recent years, like support roles, like it was Luca Cengretta and Peaky Blinders. Um, he's been in, what, he's always in Wes Anderson films, <laughs> doing his thing in the background. Um, he's just brilliant over and over again. Yeah, he played a perfect Arthur Miller. Casper Philipson as... JFK, I thought was pretty good too. Like he nailed the accent. <laughs> the accent looked like him a bit too. That that scene in particular is just like, oof. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, you don't want to be watching with your mum. I thought this is full on. I'm like, surely, <laughs> like, isn't it doing stuff like that? Like, sort of just like an unspoken agreement to not do, like, to not disrespect someone that's dead. Like, past, especially someone like JFK. Yeah, that's like that's a former president who was assassinated and they're basically being like, he basically raped her. Yeah, like doing stuff like that on screen for like just American icons is like, oh this is, I thought it's just like an unspoken thing, like you just don't do. Like there'll be knocks at your door, like, like hey, what, what's going on here? Or like people disappear for stuff like this. But it was pretty like, a, it was pretty ruthless. I feel like that's kind of why they say they just call Arthur Miller the playwright. DiMaggio, the ex-athlete, and JFK, they just call the president. Like, they don't actually say their names, but if you know who they're, taught, like, referencing, it's pretty obvious. I think as well, um, like, because these are all the conspiracies, like the JFK stuff with the Kennedy brothers and Marilyn, like, everyone just, no one knows what went on. Everyone thinks there was an affair there. Yeah. But they were only photographed together once, and there was, like, a, In public. a party. And there was, like, um, everyone just, like, guesses or what happened. So they this... The writers have straight up, like, here we go. <laughs> this is what happened. This is what we're saying happened. Based on a fictional book. So there is a ton of, like, creative liberties that they're able to take with the movie. Very creative. Another one I thought was very respectful and sort of made up for everything else they did was the ending. I was I was curious to see how they ended it and how they played out her dying. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty heavy. Because that's probably the biggest conspiracy surrounding Marilyn because, like, everyone thinks the FBI, like, staged her death and made it look like a suicide and perfectly set out the pills and her bed and everything and like killed her just for like to hush her about the affairs with the Kennedy brothers. Mm. But um yeah the way they played out was very respectful and they didn't take that path at all, did they? They completely flipped it. We didn't get like a an overhead shot of her like dead on the bed. Like we just slowly leave the room and Yeah, it was very lackluster, wasn't it? A question if she was even dead. Yeah. I was like, oh, is she just sleeping? Yeah. Do you know what that reminded me of? That ending um, on in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, everyone was wondering how that was going to end. Like, but that was like the respectful sort of the real life ending that everyone sort of wanted mm-hmm. and they wished it had happened. Yep. It was sort of a, a 
a script flipper. And I think, yeah, that's sort of is what happened in this as well. They're like, well, the real life situation was a bit tragic. So let's just make it a bit more wholesome and recreate history, I guess. Yeah. Rewrite history. Yeah, I liked it. What did you think of like the whole abortion miscarriage elements of it and like her talking to her baby in her womb and stuff like that? Yeah. Oh, it's all very confronting. Mm. But again, like it's something they obviously wanted to bring awareness to and pay attention to. Yeah. I think there was a lot of that throughout this film. They probably, they used their platform to like raise awareness to a lot of current issues and things like that i think had they not done the like talking baby in the womb part i think it would have hit Mm. better for me but if they just cut out the baby bit it would have been heaps better way more impactful if it was like basically just suggesting that the studio forced her to get an abortion type thing i think that would have been like whoa insane and like super believable in that time that's how that's how they all got to where they were back in those days with doing what the studio had wanted him to do pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubts all that is pretty accurate and it'd be bold to assume otherwise. Yeah, apparently there's no, like, evidence that she ever had an abortion and, like, her gynecologist stated that she'd never had an abortion. But but those times in Hollywood are so corrupt and so uh, behind the scenes. Like, what do you believe? Again, like, it's another one where... I think if you're interested in Marilyn Monroe at all, it's worth watching. But yeah, if you don't have like a, a huge interest in her, I don't think it's a movie that is going to suck you in too much. Like you could easily just be like, nah, 10 minutes in, I'm not liking this. It's like a lot of like World War II films or even like movies about the Kennedys. Like most are very entertaining if like that's a topic you're interested in. Mm-hmm. But if other people are not really interested, like, yeah. Yeah, it's not one where you're just going to scroll through on Netflix and be like, oh, I'll just chuck this on and be instantly hooked and going to power through because it's, what, like nearly two and a half hours long? Like, it's pretty long. Yeah, it went a while. And like I said, it was, it was, just, it was pretty arty. It was a bit of a slow burn, but at the same time, it was, I couldn't take my eyes off it. But I think that's like, this was sort of like the um, recent Elvis movie as well. Like, it was a similar sort of vibe in the fact that, like, if you love Elvis, you're going to love this. But at the same time, the um, the purists are going to pick it apart. Like, yeah, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. Mm. But just enjoy it for what it is, I think. I, I liked Elvis way more than I liked this. <laughs> yeah, well, they were similar, but they were vastly different. Um, but, wow, a Baz Luhrmann film about Marilyn Monroe wouldn't be the worst thing ever. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. To, like, celebrate. Because every Marilyn Monroe film is just sad and miserable and just dwells on, like, her like and everyone against her because like as popular as she was she was everyone like she was attacked by like Mm. the media and everyone wasn't she almost like a princess diana situation because she was she was just like fine like she in today's day and age she would be pretty tame and conservative but in the 40s and 50s she was outrageous she showed ankle bro she showed a lot more than ankle. She showed a lot more than ankle. And speaking of that, I was about to say, um, I really enjoyed that scene with the um, the subway over the, the grate. Yep. With the air coming up, blowing the skirt up. They really dramatized that a lot and made that like a big thing. That was really cool. I like how they paid attention to that. And it wasn't tacky. Like, there wasn't, like, they've, they've obviously purposely planted that scene in there. They want to make a big deal out of it because it's like her, probably her most iconic omen. And, but they did a really good job of it. I reckon they, Paid homage to it nicely, did it justice. Yeah. Because they could have easily tackied their way out of that one and cheesed it up a bit, but I reckon it was good. I think, yeah, I'd love to see what, a movie about her that, like, celebrates her achievements and gets away from the tragedy. Like, I get it's a tragic story in the end, but we could make this, like, a celebration of her and then the final, like, half hour is, like, it's a tragedy that we lost such a great talent. 
so early. But they this whole movie is just like, here's all the shit that happened in her life that basically broke her from a child. She was broken the entire time. Like she's constantly searching for love. That's why she calls all her lovers daddy. Like, yeah, um, I would like, yeah, I'd love to imagine like a, a Gatsby Elvis style Baz Luhrmann piece on Marilyn Monroe. That'd be sick. Just like celebrate her as the showgirl she was, not this miserable broken girl. Yeah, and then at the end, just like, and we lost her, and it's it's crap that we lost someone. But um, she's gonna outlast humanity, I reckon. Marilyn Monroe is a as a figure. Oh yeah, she's gonna be remembered forever. Like huge. Well, they had Marilyn Monroe, and we have Kim Kardashian. So uh, compare the pair, bros. <laughs> Gross. Gross. <laughs> Can we swap? <laughs> Alrighty. So that's that's everything for this week. What would be your top recommendation for the week? Well, I've actually told a couple of people now to watch uh, Blonde, and they've enjoyed it. It was a cool piece. Like, I'm not going to tell people to go watch Halloween because like, it's just almost a necessity to watch for Halloween fans, but it's not something I'm open to recommending to watch. But yeah, Blonde's sick. So for me, uh, honestly, I would say avoid both of these just as a general recommendation for like, unless you have a massive passion for both, yeah. just skip them. If you want to see something really innovative and cool and new, watch Smile. I watched that over the weekend and Oh my God, that's fantastic. Is it? I need to see it. I need to go to the movies to see it. So, so good. So good. Yeah, I really want to see it. Done. Alrighty. Thank you everyone for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow Blake on Twitter at Captain Crumbs and you can follow me on social media at Jamie Ups Media and at Pario Magazine. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Epps.